Blog Talk Radio. You ready? It's time to start. This should be played at high volume. This is the Andrea Shea Game Show. And I'm just a gal like any other gal. That's cool. You know what this is. What is this? The Andrea Shea King Show. It's me, don't you remember? We were just talking about you. Totally amazing. Thank you. The Andrea Shea King Show. I think you've got something there. Andrea Shea King. You're really going to like it. Quite understandable. Is on the air. Something's definitely going on here. Take my word for it. Now. Come on. It's showtime. Make it so. Ready, go. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the program. On this Tuesday, February 13th, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Did you get your sweetie something to let them know you love them? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, a little, little heart with some chocolates in it wouldn't be a bad idea. Maybe a rose, a red rose. doesn't have to be a full bouquet. Just a sweet little red rose with baby's breast and a little card that says, you are my valentine. Or how about those little hard candies that are heart-shaped that have the little sayings on them? Remember when you were a kid? I don't know if you did this, but when I was a kid, we used to hand them out to our friends, and you'd pick out just the right one. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Anyway, welcome to the program. Nice to have you along for the uh, for the ride tonight. And we've got a lot to talk about. As always, don't we always have a lot to talk about? Okay, um, folks, uh, let's see if folks are making their way into the chat. Oh, well, so far we've got four people in the chat room. Uh, Robert sent me an email today. Robert, who has been a faithful listener to this program for, for oh, better than 10 years. And uh, he's just fed up with having to deal with Blog Talk Radio's um, idiosyncrasies. So he sent me an email and he said, I'm, I just can't do it anymore. Just can't makes my computer crash. And, um, you know, if you find another, another platform, let me know and I'll try to come back. But, um, after 10 years of putting up with blog talk radio, I am done. And I feel bad about that. I really do. And if that doesn't, even shore up even more um, my resolve to uh, switch platforms. Um, that's definitely one of them. All right. So hello to the guests in the chat room. Mdel was in there. He says, he says, I have to refresh in a minute. It's like the lotto, one in a million chance. But last week I was a winner. <laughs> in other words, when the show starts, it knocks them off. It just knocks them off, and then you have to refresh. It's ridiculous, and then it takes forever to get into the chat room. I'm telling you, you folks who are listening in on the telephone line, that's that's your best bet. Until we do something about this, until we move to another platform, that really is your best bet. We've got three people on the line right now listening. You can join them, 646-478-4604. That's the telephone number, okay? Yeah, and, um, you know, head on over. Um, All right, let's make sure. Let's see. Golf Dogs is saying BTR is owned by an ex-Washington Post reporter. Uh, Really? You know, Alan Levy was the um, creator of Blog Talk Radio, and I had him on the show. And when Blog Talk first started, I had him on a couple of times explaining, you know, the history of why he started it and um, what his plans were for it. And everybody was really excited about it because at the time it was really at the forefront of um, uh, blogging on the radio, you know, Internet radio. Problem is it has not progressed uh, they haven't kept up technically with what they need to. And it might very well be because um, Alan Levy has left. I don't know. I don't know the history of it right now. I don't. I mean, the status, I don't know. Golf Dogs is saying it's owned by a former Washington Post reporter. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. 
But anyway, um, we're not long for it. <laughs> we're going to be moving too. So there you have it. Okay, let's get started, shall we? I think we should. Yes. All right. Let's start with this. Um, uh, let's talk about the por- the, the portrait. Obama and and Muchel portraits. Oh my gosh, man! I'm telling you, even today, people are just ripping it up on Twitter, on Facebook, and also in the regular media. The Hill reported today about how social media is reacting to the unveiling of the Obamas portrait. Um, let's see, uh, Twitter users questioned the inspiration behind the portrait, with some comparing the portrait to a gif of Homer Simpson disappearing into a bush. I'm sure you've seen it, right? And another Twitter user likened the portrait to a picture of Beyonce. Well, I think that person was probably referring to Muchel. Oh, then maybe again it might have been referring to Obama. <laughs> you never know. Uh, The portrait was unveiled yesterday at the Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery. It's going to join the America's President's Exhibition as part of its permanent installation. I mean, really, wouldn't you want to be a fly on the wall to hear the uh, comments as people shuffle their way in front of these portraits? Um, A lot of funny stuff. I mean, I've been posting it on my Facebook page. I'm telling you, somebody did a... a, a, um, a gif showing Obama pulling the fabric off the off of his portrait from his portrait. He's pulling it down, and when and when it reveals the portrait, it's not him. It's Bill Clinton. It's Hillary Clinton. It's it's Donald Trump. I funny funny stuff. And they've all they've all got little uh, sayings with them too. I mean, it's just you know, I needed the laugh. I needed the laugh, and that provided it for sure, for sure. Now get this, um, his his portrait was painted by an artist named I think it's Kahinde, Kahinde Wiley, or maybe it's Kehind. I don't know. Anyway, um, he's shown Obama with flowers in the background, which are meant to symbolize a number of places. Now get this. Oh God. The chrysanthemums are the official flower of Chicago where Obama began his political career. His childhood home of Hawaii is represented by Jasmine, his childhood home of Hawaii. And African blue lilies serve as a nod to his late Kenyan-born father, Barack Obama Sr. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Just too funny. And have you noticed he's got six fingers? The man has six fingers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's been talking about this. It's like, what the hell? What is this artist thinking? Or does Obama really have six fingers? Six long fingers. Not like Trump's short, stubby ones, right? <laughs> you think there's a message in that? I don't know. Could be. Could be. But anyway. One of the uh, one of the people who said, who who tweeted it out tweeted out a message about it said nice of him to honor his predecessors the Bushes. <laughs> Even uh, Rush Limbaugh talked about it today. I mean he was very tentative about his remarks yesterday. I mean he was just not going there, and I can understand why. I mean Rush has got a you know. He's got to tread lightly sometimes. But anyway, today he didn't. I mean, well, I mean, he did. But for Rush, it was, you know, kind of throwing it out there. Anyway, he says, um, 
he says social media is having the greatest time with the portraits of Barack Hussein O and Michelle Mybel O. And he says, and I just want to show you one example. Uh, the, the Obama portrait, interestingly, is getting more heat than the Michelle portrait because of the what is it factor. No kidding. I, really? What? What are these two trying to do? Well, it's obvious these two portraits are not going to look like any other portrait anywhere. And that's probably one of the objectives. But as Rush said, he thinks there are some other components there. By the way, somebody did a montage of a presidential portraits. I think there were probably, I want to say either nine or a dozen. There were three across or something like that. Anyway, and they're all, I mean, all of these presidential portraits are stately and, you know, with a dark background and, and the presidents are in their suits and they're looking like presidential. And right in the middle of all of it, you've got Obama his portrait sitting on that throne in front of all those bushes or poison ivy or marijuana, whatever you want to call it. And the caption of it is, which one doesn't belong here? (laughs) Like one of those child's games in the highlights magazine, pick out the one that doesn't fit. (laughs) Anyway. Um, so Russia flashed up on his ditto cam, some of the satires and parodies of the portrait that are, out there on social media and um, he said uh, this this one and I'm going to describe it to you is over two-thirds of the this one over two-thirds of the Obama portrait is obscured by the American flag which is encroaching on it from the left and it is in the process of eliminating Obama from his own portrait standing in front of the flag is Donald Trump as the exterminator and he's spraying pesticides on the Obama portrait and this is done to create the impression that America is getting rid of pests and that Obama is, I mean, Trump is the guy doing it. And it works because Obama is sitting there on his chair. Well, that's not how I interpreted that at all. Not at all. I saw this. And, of course, you know, you've got Trump and his lips are pursed like, mm, and he's holding on to a, a wand. Okay. And, yeah, maybe he's very well exterminating. But when I first saw it, I thought, what Trump was doing was painting out Obama and covering him up with the American flag. Just in other words, the the symbolism is I am going to completely undo your legacy. You will become invisible. And, and because I am going to cover you up with what America really stands for. That's how I interpreted it. But then, you know, everybody has their own way of looking at things. So anyway, Rush says, and by the way, everybody now says he looks like he's sitting on the toilet. (laughs) Rush says, I didn't want to say that yesterday. I have a modicum of respect for the orifice. Oh, boom. (laughs) I didn't want to say that, he said, but it's all over the place now that Obama looks, you know. Well, I'll tell you. The toilet meme was hilarious. People were posting all kinds of things. Obama sitting on the john, Obama with his underpants and his trousers down around his ankles. But the one that I thought was absolutely the funniest, that just killed me, was him sitting there. In, in, in The portrait is exactly the way it's supposed to be, with one exception. He's wearing a pair of underpants on his head to look like a crown. <laughs> <laughs> How fitting! <laughs> I thought that was, I mean, a lot 
lot of people put real crowns on him and all that. But I just thought, you know, the way that this person perched this pair of underwear, they had the waistband on his, on the top of his head, and of course the pant legs were were sticking up so that it, they, they were they were I think it was blue blue jockey shorts sitting on his head like a crown. Oh my God, that killed me. That just killed me. Oh man. Okay, so um, this artist, by the way. Um, evidently he's, uh, he's, he's got quite a, quite a reputation, I, a typical of the Obamas, so typical. Over at the Gateway Pundit, Lucian Wintrich wrote that, uh, since, uh, uh, Obama's portrait was unveiled, he said, I've received a flurry of text messages from outraged artist friends that I made while living in New York. He said, no, they weren't outraged because they saw Kahindi or Kahindi Wiley's other painting that featured black women murdering white women. Hello, decapitation much? They were outraged because Kehinde Wiley is a terrible artist who only rose to prominence, something that they've been attempting to do their entire lives in the art world because he is a racist, gay, black man. And if that weren't enough, he doesn't even paint his own work. Say what? Back in April of 2012, Wiley New York Magazine wrote a glowing uh, piece covering Wiley and his, quote, global reach. When Wiley was asked about one of the anti-white paintings in his studio, his response is not only shocking, but shows a complete lack of any sort of intellectual depth. Listen to this. Quote, a tall, elegant black woman in a long blue dress. The canvas is enormous, eight feet by ten feet, calmly staring down the viewer. In one hand, she holds a knife. In another, a cleanly severed brunette female head. It's sort of a play on the kill whitey thing. (laughs) That unabashed bombast has made Wiley a walking superlative. And again, this is this is quoting from the New York Magazine. The most successful black artist since Basquiat, possibly the wealthiest painter of his generation, certainly the one who made his name earliest. He was 26 for his first major solo show. A gay man who has become the great painter of machismo for the swag era. A bootstrapper from South Central who talks like a Yale professor much of the time. A genius self-promoter who's managed to have it both ways in an art world that loves having its critical cake and eating the spectacle of it, too. And a crossover phenomenon who is at once the hip-hop world's favorite fine artist, think Spike, they own pieces, and the galleries, the gallery world's most popular hip-hop ambassador, not to mention an all-around positive guy. Close quote. Which gets back to a major problem here, and the frustration of one of my painter friends in New York, a Japanese-born artist who immigrated to the United States a decade ago. My friend is highly skilled. I would include some of his work, but he wishes to remain anonymous. And similar to Wiley, draws stylistic inspiration from classical artists such as Caravaggio and uh, Gentileschi. I hope I'm saying those right, and if I'm not, my apologies. Irately, he texted me in his typical broken English. He wrote, his works are billboard painting quality. If he was white, 
he has no, no enough skill to be a famous artist. This went on to him expressing frustration at the art world, especially in New York, where tastes are created and artists are seen to emerge more so than anywhere else in the U.S., that there's not so much a demand for quality in the art world anymore. There's more of a demand for affirmative action. He described an artist friend of his whose assistance, a disgustingly common practice these days among artists who've made it, are primarily composed of white girls. But when any sort of New York art media or coverage enters his studio for a profile, his assistants quickly change race and gender. (laughs) Quote, my friend was working in his studio. There were many white girls in his studio. But when shooting for magazine or film came to his studio, he hides white assistants and showed only Latino boy assistants. He knows how to show himself on the media. So, all right. Affirmative action seems to be a major thing in New York. If you're white or even Asian, uh, you can count on a struggle. The art world doesn't want you because they're too busy propping up those technically bad painters who happen to be able to tick more boxes off the intersectionality checklist. And Wiley certainly can check quite a few of the boxes on that, off of that uh, checklist. A black, a gay man who pushes the anti-white rhetoric that the left revels in these days. But there's another problem, a big one. See, Wiley doesn't actually paint his work. <laughs> a common technique used, especially by Chinese labor, quote, painters who mass produce work, is to repeat a pattern over and over rather than use an artist's intuition to create a scene. The fawning New York Magazine piece makes this clear after the writer attempts to snap a few pictures of the studio space. Wiley immediately grows uncomfortable and begins skirting around the truth. Quote, there's nothing new about artists using assistance. Everyone from Michelangelo to Jeff Koons has employed teams of helpers with varying degrees of irony and pride. But Wiley gets uncomfortable discussing the subject. I'm sensitive to it, he says. When I first arrived at his Beijing studio, the assistants had left, and he made me delete the iPhone snapshots I had taken of the empty space. I don't want you to know every aspect of where my hand starts and ends. Producing work in China cuts costs, but not as much as it used to, Wiley says. These days in Beijing, he employs anywhere from four to ten workers, depending on the urgency, plus a studio manager the American artist, Ein Koch. Well, there you have it. Disgusting as it may be, is the skill of Wiley's work good? No, but maybe that's because he outsources the work to underpaid Chinese labor. Are his concepts good or original? No, it's very unoriginal these days to be a racist black man whose raison d'etre purely centered around anti-white ideologies So why is Wiley famous now? How did a former president of the United States end up tapping this sly con artist, paint his portrait, an incredible honor for any artist? 
What does it say about the state of the arts and modern American culture that we're willing to pay a hustler hundreds of thousands of dollars to have underpaid Chinese women paint large anti-white paintings? Well, all that can be definitively answered is a racist con artist is being propped up by not just the deranged art world, but a former president, and that should trouble everybody. Yeah, a former president who shares his views on whites, hates whites. Oh, my, 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 my. <sighs> yep, Obama and Muchel stepping in again. You can take them out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of them. They be homeboys. Hmm. Okay. Um, shifting gears. <laughs> okay, shifting gears. We're going to move on to something that uh, Dick Morris um, has written over at the American Spectator. Actually, it's a. I think it's a piece by Morris. Yeah, it must be because it doesn't. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's Daniel Flynn, but he's writing about Morris. Okay. So here we go. Um, did Hillary's? Did Hillary Clinton's go-to guys on Dirty Trick produce the dossier? Well, better than anyone, Dick Morris knows the Clinton score. A former friend and advisor to President Bill Clinton characterizes Cody Shearer, the man allegedly behind the second anti-Donald Trump dossier, as one of the Clintons' go-to guys for dirty tricks. Dick Morris tells the American Spectator, quote, I knew Sidney Blumenthal better than Cody. Shearer was one of the operatives that Hillary always used. He and Sidney were kind of her go-to guys when dirty tricks and secret ops were called for. I never worked with him on any of them. But he seemed like a very competent operative. I know that he was very wired to Bill Clinton through Strobe Talbot because his sister married him. Sister was married to Strobe. Now, Shearer figured into allegations in the late 1990s that um, he intimidated Bill Clinton's sexual assault accuser, Kathleen Willey, who, by the way, comes to my Facebook page quite frequently and clicks like. <laughs> She's paying attention. During the 1992 presidential election, Shearer peddled the dubious story of a convicted felon that he sold drugs to Vice President Dan Quayle. Okay. In 1989, Shearer pushed stories of a drunken, inappropriate behavior by former U.S. Senator John Tower that helped derail the Texans' nomination as Secretary of Defense. I remember that. Shearer's resume depicts precisely the type of operative ideal for digging up or manufacturing dirt on a Republican presidential candidate. But it's precisely that type of resume that figured to tarnish any information uncovered. Morris alleges that the reason Hillary hired Fusion GPS is because she needed someone more credible than Sidney Blumenthal and Cody Shearer to float these charges. Now, just as the Clinton campaign and the DNC used intermediaries in financing the Steele dossier to keep its fingerprints off a document styled as intelligence and not opposition research, Shearer allegedly used the tactic of laundering to ensure that his information looked as though coming from a clean source rather than a political dirty trickster. Shearer 
allegedly provided the material to Sidney Blumenthal, <laughs> Sid Vicious, who provided it to an official in the very State Department Mrs. Clinton once led, which in turn gave it to Christopher Steele, who handed it over to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which then presented it to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court to obtain a warrant for electronic surveillance. Now, of course, saying the material came from a respected foreign intelligence officer or the State Department figured to impress more than admitting it came from the likes of Cody Shear and Cindy Blumenthal. Mars tells the American Spectator, he says, my theory is that the first dossier was the second dossier, and the second dossier was the basis of Christopher Steele's dossier. I do not think an MI6 agent would produce a memo that said that the guy was the go-between in Prague who had never been to Prague or would tell the prostitute story. I think that they came from Sydney and Shearer because that's the kind of thing they traffic in. The heavily redacted Lindsey Graham-Chuck Grassley memo cites a Steele report pointing out that Steele's company quote, received this report from Redact U.S. State Department, who received it from a, quote, friend of the Clintons who passed it on to Redacted. Now, the Graham Grassley memo notes that it's troubling enough that the Clinton campaign funded Mr. Steele's work, but that these Clinton associates were contemporaneously feeding Mr. Steele's allegations raises additional concerns about his work. So, did Shearer and Blumenthal produce the preponderance of the Steele, quote, dossier? Did an ally of the former Secretary of State serve as a go-between, handing off the material from two shady political operatives to Steele? And did the Justice Department knowingly hide the dubious origins of the dossier from the FISA court? Dick Morris firmly believes we will find all of this out. I have no doubt about it. None whatsoever. Okay. This morning, got up, made the coffee, and I opened up that way. Actually, uh, let me let me let me rephrase that. I sleep with my phone. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> Doesn't everyone? I have my phone right beside my bed, okay, and I have it set to give me alerts, news alerts to local uh, local NBC affiliate here that I used to work for, and um, Fox. So this morning I get this uh, alert, and hmm, it wakes me up, and I take a look at my phone through bleary eyes, and what it's telling me is that uh, a Hollywood. Um, a Democrat donor is tied into a um, murder of a young black guy. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is Ed Buck. This is Ed Buck. We researched this with the QAnons the other day. This was in January. Oh, my God, the Adam Schiff is involved in this. Well, <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's how I started my morning. So let me let me share with you. Okay, 
All right. Let me, I, I have to scroll down because I took notes and I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. I want to make sure that I've got it. Oh, and by the way, Rush was asked today by a caller if he was familiar with QAnon on 4chan. This caller didn't know what the hell he was talking about, or he was so nervous talking to Rush Limbaugh, he got it all bollocks up. And, and, and before he could let Rush explain or, or answer the question, yes, I do, no, I don't, which I would have liked to have known, hey, Rush, have you heard about Q? This guy just babbled on, oh, he, well, he's on 4chan, and he works, he works for 4chan. It's like, oh, my God, I'm, I, you know, facepalm, okay, facepalm. First of all, Q does not work for 4chan. He does not work for 8chan. Q, and, and again, I, I use the pronoun he, I don't know. It could be a she. It could be they. For all we know, Q hides behind, an, a, a, he's anonymous, right? Q anon. So what, we're, what we've gathered is that he is military intelligence, that he's very close to the president in proximity if not in physical proximity, certainly in communicative proximity, because a lot of the things that Q puts out there on the uh, Q board is followed up moments later by a tweet from Trump. Now, some people are saying, well, I think, I think Q is Trump. No, Q isn't Trump. Trump doesn't have time to do everything that Q is doing. No, he doesn't. But they're coordinating together. Now, some people think it might be Mike Rogers. Dr. Corsi says, no, absolutely not. It's not Mike Rogers, head of the NSA, not him. I don't know how he knows that, but that's his considered opinion. Other people think it might be Mike Flynn, uh, General Mike Flynn. Some others say, no, it's not Mike Flynn. Well, we don't know who it is, okay? We don't know who it is, and we don't know who they are. It could be they. But this guy, it was like, oh, man, what, you know, if you're going to go on a national radio show and you plan on asking a question, you better have your ducks in a row because otherwise you look like a blithering idiot like this guy did. He blew the chance to get Rush on the record as to whether or not he was aware of Q Anon and what QAnon has been posting. Never gave, never gave Rush the opportunity to answer that question. He just blathered blah, 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 on and on. And I'm thinking, you idiot. <laughs> you idiot. Anyway, not that important. But, you know, I mean, really, if you get on a national program, geez, write it down. Write down what you're going to ask. You know, you're on hold for, I don't know, most of the show you're on hold if you're lucky enough to get picked up by uh, Snurdly. And you got to know what you're going to say. And the other thing, as long as I'm venting and ranting, the other thing, and I mentioned this last night too, you know, when you have an expert or somebody that you consider to be an expert on your program, and I know a lot of you don't have a radio program that you do, but for those of you who do or you're contemplating it or whatever, let the guests talk. Let them speak. I was reading something last night about Sean Hannity. People are just fed up with Sean Hannity because he keeps interrupting people. He had, um, was it uh, Nunes, I guess. Devin Nunes was on, I think it was Devin Nunes, um, 
and and Hannity just wanted to, to tell to tell Nunes what his what his sources were telling him, and he it was like he had Nunes on to confirm what Hannity's sources were telling him was correct. Let Nunes talk, you know. It's, it's, it's Alex Jones' methodology of interviewing, and it's so annoying. Oh, my God, it is so annoying. I won't listen to people. I absolutely will not listen to people who do that. And that's why I don't have guests on this program so much anymore. Well, also because I don't trust BTR. I mean, I'm, I don't have the confidence that I'm going to get a guest. I mean, I've, I, we, I bring on Elizabeth every Wednesday night because she's done BTR and she understands and, it, and you know, it's no great shakes. But I'm not going to bring on a big name like I used to. No way. No way. I mean, been there, done that. and, and But when I do and when I did, I let them talk. Well, you don't want to hear me. If you want to hear me, I won't have any guests on. Anyway, okay. Full stop, rant over. So this morning, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading this alert on my phone, and I come down, and I put the coffee on, and I fire up. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> that woke me up because I knew based on information that Q had put out there in January that Adam Schiff is involved in this. Okay, so let me, let me, la, 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 here we go. The story is about a, a black guy named Jamel Moore. Jamel Moore, okay? He, uh, let me go to Q first, and I'm going to read to you. Okay, here, let me see. For some reason, you know, I, I reboot my computer before I start the show so I won't have audio problems. And when I reboot, sometimes it doesn't take me exactly back to the same page. When I click on uh, restore, um, uh, you know, the, you can go up to the history. I have a Mac. And what you, what you tell it is you want it to reopen all windows from last session, which brings you right back to where you were before you shut down. Well, it doesn't always work out that way because sometimes you end up uh, like Facebook. Forget it. I, I end up at the top. Oh, and by the way, I got a message today from Facebook. Mm, mm. Evidently, I posted uh, one of the funny photos of um, Michelle Obama, uh, her portrait that somebody had drawn a uh, or had photocopied, photo, photoshopped a penis on her. Mm. They told me it violated community standards. <laughs> so I had to remove it. I had to take it off. Yep. Yep. Michelle's penis had to go. <laughs> oh, okay. So on January 31st, Q posts the following. Helicopter. Crash. Newport Beach. Hotel GM. What happened at those hotels? Well, people started digging. Okay, let's Google Newport Beach. Okay, everybody, I'm back. Um, no, I'm on my I'm on my cell phone now. God, you know, all of a sudden I got a signal. No connection. Okay, can you hear me? I just want to make sure. Can you hear me? Okay, we got a sound. Yeah, phew. Okay, good. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to use my phone. I'm going to have to talk to you. I'm going to hold my phone. 
<laughs> All right, let's continue. Let's I, let's pretend this didn't happen. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, let me go back and start. On January 31st, Q posted the following: helicopter crash, Newport Beach Hotel GM. What happened at those hotels? So right away, the researchers saw that and they started googling hotel crash, Newport Beach. And they came upon a story about a helicopter that fell right out of the sky, excuse me, in Newport Beach. And it had the general manager of a hotel called the Standard Hotel, a woman, a woman general manager, uh, and two other people who were killed, including the pilot. One other person survived it but was in critical condition. Okay, what happened at those hotels? Well, now, oh, now our curiosity's up. Standard hotels, mm, what's that? So, okay, um, then he posts another thing. Q posts something else. Okay, and I'm skipping over one of the posts that he did to get to, get to this. Um, one of the anonymous researchers wrote in, on, the, on the HN board, Watsman was the general manager of the Standard Hotel in West Hollywood. She had worked for the company for nearly 11 years. And then there's a link to an LATimes.com article SoCal, Daily Pilot, News, track Crash Update, okay? So now, what's going on with this? Okay, well, then, uh, uh, not, this, they're digging, they're researching. The, the researchers on the, on the board are digging. And one anonymous person, um, one person goes by the name of Anonymous, says, some incident with Adam Shit happened at a hotel and was covered up. He is repaying the favor by trying to cover this up. Anons, we are looking for a death cover-up of A.S. doing, A.S., Adam Schiff. To which Q responds saying how they control those they need. One recent example, relevant today, learn. So they're digging, they're researching, they're doing more research. They come back with another uh, uh, uh post message on the on the 8chan board anonymous writes pedo ring human trafficking at hotel adam shifts district he knew he's trying to cut a deal because he knows he's grass to which q replies the intel just dropped is bigger than you can imagine and then he posts q posts freedom day freedom underscore and then he posts, this is all on the same night, all on January 31st. Effective yesterday, while standing under the Statue of Freedom, POTUS freed those good people who are currently being blackmailed, threatened, and enslaved. He's, of course, he's referring to the State of the Union address because this was the same night. Those who stood chanting, USA, USA, were freed. The shot heard around the world. TG is greater than we, the people, Freedom Day, light. Okay. So, all right, what is this about? What is this about? Well, at about the same time, maybe a few days later, I come across this blind item, okay? And it's from an account number that has a bunch of numbers to it. And I, what is this? So I start reading it, and it says, over the weekend, the head of this company, who had never been seen in person at this particular location, showed up in the middle of the night. 
He had called ahead, and the highest-ranking person still left at this, at this business was told to be there for the meeting. He instructed that no one else be there. The urgency was dictated because of multiple deaths that happened a short time before involving two very key employees of this company. Those two employees were in charge of the account number mentioned in the title. Okay, and the account number doesn't matter to you. It's a long string of numbers. That account number was established several years ago when the new owner bought out the original owner. It was an internal billing account, but the bills were never paid. They were never supposed to be paid. It was simply to keep track of a special group of clientele who are friends of the owner. The problem was that after the death of the two employees, one of the clientele showed up at the business with two very young women he said were his nieces and said he had a reservation. He used the name associated with that account. The problem is these clientele were always processed by the two dead employees. Think helicopter crash, okay? You following me? They were not always there in person, but would arrange that all the formalities would be taken care of beforehand so that whatever clientele were there could get on with their activities quickly. When this man showed up with his nieces, who really looked nothing like each other or the man, and were really young to be wearing what they were wearing, calls were made. Did anyone know about the reservation? And then someone looked up the history of the name associated with the account and sent a group email about the reservation and included the account number in the email. The man and his nieces were not given a room because none of them had or were willing to produce identification or a method of payment. The man explained that no payment was ever required because it was handled through Mr. Weishaupt. No one at the company had ever heard of Mr. Weishaupt. And another group email was sent inquiring about Mr. Weishaupt. Only a few hours later, the call was made by the man who came in the middle of the night. Was it Mr. Weishaupt? I don't know. The person who told me all of this only caught a glimpse of the man as he left the next morning, trailed by that highest-ranking employee available at the company. The person who spoke to me is adamant that the previous owner did not have a special account number. The employees had been trying to recall anyone they remembered who had used the account number or the name or, or name when they checked in. One person several people agreed on because he had been there multiple times using the same um, using the name was this A plus list mostly movie actor who lives most of the year overseas. He also likes to direct. He's also an Academy Award winner. The staff just assumed that he liked his privacy and it was a fake name. It wasn't until now that they realized that he was using the same name as the man with his nieces. Whenever the A-plus lister came, he always came without his wife and would only stay a few hours. No one saw anyone who came with him, but it seemed like, given the circumstances, he was meeting someone who would come to see him. This A-plus list, mostly movie actress, who is an Academy Award winner, 
and is known all over the world, used the name too. Someone remembered she stayed a week when she was in hiding, and some of her employees would come by and have no idea they were supposed to use that name to see her or contact her. The staff said the name was used a lot, but mostly by men who had a woman or women with them. There was one man they remembered because he stuck out. He was an older white man, and he would often come with young black men and also would only stay for an hour or two. I think I know who that person is and have written about him before, but no one remembered exactly what he looked like, and he wasn't using his real name, so it's tough. There are rumors that the man behind it all has a big-time professional sports interest. One thing is certain. Any trace of that account number is gone from every system the staff can get into. All right. So here's what we've got. We've got uh, a hotel in West Hollywood called the Standard International Hotel. It's part of a chain of Standard International Hotels all over the United States and I believe the world. And they're boutique hotels. And it appears that these hotels are where these freaks go to get their freak on. And when I tell you what the Anons came up with and what, with, what Dr. Corsi came up with, is that getting their freak on meant uh, shooting up black prostitutes, black men, prostitute men, with crystal meth. Whether they wanted to or not, it was part of the deal. This Waltzman, who died in the uh, helicopter crash, was the general manager of the Standard Hotel in West Hollywood. She had worked for the company for nearly 11 years. And this is, um, uh, again, this is from somebody anonymous who posted over at A-Chan. Q writes, what happened at hotel? Bracket, A-S, close bracket. What is A-S attempting right now? Favor repaid. A.S. in brackets is Adam Schiff. This took place in his district. He is connected to this. He must be Schiffing himself today when he saw the Fox News headline on this. Q dropped crumbs that led to intensive research that led straight to Schiff's door. Yikes. Okay. As I said to you, A.S. in brackets is Schiff. He is connected to a, this very sordid crime committed by, allegedly committed by, Ed Buck, who is a sick monster who feasts on young black men. He's also very involved in politics. He's a big Democrat donator. He's been donating to Adam Schiff. He's been donating to Hillary Clinton. He is a player. He is a gay man who has a taste for young, nubile black men that he likes to lure into his uh, room or wherever and do the nasty, I mean, real nasty, okay? When facts are revealed about this crime, I believe Schiff is going to be implicated and frog-marched. Now, um, I want to read to you, okay, so, so what I did was I some words um, and attach them to information that I have, and I posted them on my Facebook page. Here's what I posted this morning. Standard Hotel in West Hollywood plus Occult Playground 
plus murders, plus Ed Buck, plus Adam Schiff, plus Fox News headlines this morning. Read what some Anons researched at 8chan. And this was on the 31st. Again, this is all happening on January 31st. One Anon wrote, found this article about Box Girl. Creepy. And I'm going to read that to you in a moment. Another one posted right afterwards, AS equals Adam Schiff is trying his last distraction to say the memo has been altered. The next one, Occult Playground. Another one, one look at their logo, the Standard Hotel, and I have everything I need to know. Another one, it's where Adam Schiff stays and gets his favors, filthy scum. Another one, Adam Schiff trying to prevent the memo from being released. What would that have to do with the hotel? Well, I don't know that it has anything to do with the hotel. I think that the hotel situation is something that is in um, Adam Schiff's closet. And he doesn't want this to come out. But somebody has this, – this murder that took place was a year ago. Let me read to you about um, the L.A. Weekly. Let me see here. Uh, this uh, L.A. Weekly story appeared March seventh, 2014. So this goes back a few years, okay? But this is about a gal who worked at the Standard Hotel. This is her story. Her name is Lilibet Snellings, former box girl. There's never a shortage of half-dressed ladies on the Sunset Strip, and that includes the lobby of the Standard, the boutique hotel just west of the Chateau Marmont and east of the Comedy Store. But there's always one girl at the Standard who stands out above the rest, except she doesn't stand. She lies down or sometimes sits in a large glass tank behind the concierge. She's the Standard's box girl. For nearly four years, Lilibet Snellings was a box girl. Los Angeles is crawling with aspiring whatevers, working odd day jobs. Snellings undoubtedly was one of the most confining. The box is 15 feet long, four feet wide, and five feet tall. The box girl is part eye candy, part conversation piece, and part art installation, a living sculpture that taps into the fantasy of staring at a woman trapped like a caged animal. Her uniform was a white tank top, white shorts, and light makeup. Also, she had to wear undergarments. Quoting in her, from her book, she's written a book, it's called Box Girl, My Part-Time Job as an Art Installation. She said, I never thought I would be employed at a place where that needed to be put in writing. White tank top, white shorts, light makeup, and wear undergarments. What rules? While inside the box, there was to be no eye contact with hotel guests and no food or drinks. But Snellings, who essentially had been hired as a model, could read, use her computer, talk on the phone, and even sleep inside the box, which included a mattress, sheets, pillow, and monthly art installations. And yes, she was allowed bathroom breaks, two per shift. Just act as if you're alone in your living room, Snellings was told. Snelling writes of standard owner Andre Balaz, B-A-L-A-Z-S, the real estate developer ex-boyfriend of both Uma Thurman and Chelsea Handler. Uh, Snellings writes, this manufactured reality could only be hatched from the head of a man. Not surprisingly, of the hotel chain's five locations, only West Hollywood employs a box girl. 
At 31, Snellings looks like a camera-ready California girl with blonde hair and impeccably white teeth, but she never aspired to be a model. After graduating the University of Colorado with a journalism degree, the Connecticut native tried to land writing gigs in New York with no luck. While vacationing in Los Angeles with her East Coast girlfriends, Snellings decided, mostly on a whim, to relocate, hoping to continue pursuing a writing career in an even less lucrative writing town. She moved into a house in Santa Monica with those same friends and then into a string of tiny one-bedroom and studio apartments. She says, by the time I got out here and realized those writing jobs were few and far between, I would have nannied or done anything to stay here. Though Snellings calls her book a love letter to L.A., it was a slow-burning affair. The year-round sunshine, the traffic, the driving, she hated it all, just like every other new transplant. Still, as she explains on the patio of Le Zinc in Venice, she was determined to make the city work for her. Her first job was as an assistant and model wrangler, babysitter at a Beverly Hills modeling agency, which had a kitchen with a scale in it. She scheduled castings and accompanied the models to red carpet events and parties where she met celebs such as Orlando Bloom, Kate Bosworth, and Olivia Wilde. Joaquin Phoenix even kissed her on the cheek at an Oscars party. After leaving that job, Snellings became one of the agency's clients going out on auditions for Old Navy, Nationwide Insurance, Capri Sun, Budweiser, and Match.com. She booked a few, mostly fitness-related commercials and print ads. She was a dead girl in an Aesop Rock music video and an extra in Entourage. For 250 bucks, she cut off her hair for a hair modeling job. For five years, she also was a cocktail waitress at La Caia in Venice. She had become what she dreaded most, a slash a writer slash actress slash model slash waitress. But supplementing her income meant that Snellings could work as a freelance writer and intern at Flaunt Magazine. It was there that a former coworker turned her to on to a modeling job at The Standard. They were looking for a new blonde. She got the job on the spot. They just wanted to see what I looked like and that I wasn't a total weirdo. Each girl was allowed to work only one night a week. So while Snellings was there once once a week, usually from 7 p.m. to 2 a.m., she never saw any of the 20 other box girls on the hotel's roster. She earned upwards of $150 a night, later cut down to $80 during the recession. Snellings recalls that between 2007 and 2011, she was reprimanded only once by management for having an untidy box. Mostly, she was left alone to do whatever she wanted in her makeshift living room, Read The New Yorker, listen to music, and yes, sleep. In the book, Snellings lists a number of sleeping and sitting positions she developed with amusing names like the slender typist, the Indian princess, and the sleeping booty. She says, one time I went in and I was incredibly hungover. For some reason, that month, the artist asked the box models to wear a sweatshirt. So I put my cozy sweatshirt on and slept almost the entire time. A group of guests even placed bets on when she'd fall asleep. There was another time a guy told her he loved her. A different guy, a foreigner, asked the concierge if she was for sale. He thought it was the red light district in Amsterdam and he could rent me and take me up to his hotel room. It was horrifying, Snelling says. On the cusp of turning 30, Snellings quit the box. She later got married and in December moved to Chicago where her husband found a job. She's freelance, blah, 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 blah. Looking back on her years working at the Standard, 
Snellings contends that she used the box as much as it used her. Sure, she was on display, but she also felt protected, able to quietly observe and record the people around her, which included lots of couples staggering out of the hotel's bar at the end of the night and hooking up in its rooms. She said, in the process of writing the book, I realized that the box was a pretty good vehicle for exploring more about myself and Los Angeles. As far as coming to a conclusion of whether I was a piece of ass or a piece of art, I don't know. I think I was both. So that kind of gives you an idea, a little bit of a flavor of what that was like, the, the box, right? Now I want to share with you what Fox News wrote today, what they reported today. Big headline, justice for Jamel Moore, question mark. Family wants answers in escort's death at Dem's donor's home. And then they've laid in a picture of Ed Buck wearing a rainbow-colored bow tie. Standing right beside him is Hillary Clinton in a red pantsuit, and she's holding a red, white, and blue flag bow tie, both of them smiling happily. Beside that picture is a picture of Jamel Moore who was found dead inside Buck's apartment, July 27th, 2017. The caption on the photo says, Democratic donor Ed Buck is seen at left in the fall of 2015 with Hillary Clinton. Here's the story. Family and friends of a male escort found dead in the West Hollywood home of a high-powered Democratic Party donor last year continue to press for answers in a case that has eluded the national media spotlight on incidents of sexual misconduct and racial injustice. Jamel Moore, 26, was discovered by police on July 27th inside the apartment of Ed Buck, age 63. Buck is a well-known Democratic contributor and has given more than $500,000 to an array of Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, Los Angeles County District Attorney Jackie Lacey, and a variety of state and local organizations in California. The Los Angeles County Coroner's Office initially ruled the death an accidental methamphetamine overdose, but the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office Homicide Bureau on, on August 14th announced they would investigate if there was any criminal culpability after Moore's family and friends disputed the initial finding. Investigators told Fox News they would like to have the inquiry wrapped up in the near future, but have had trouble interviewing certain witnesses. Lieutenant Joe Mendoza, who's a spokesman for the L.A. County Sheriff's Office, Homicide Bureau, told Fox News in a recent telephone interview, quote, we should have all the information so we can make a good evaluation of everything that transpired to see if there's any criminal culpability. Detectives have already interviewed numerous witnesses who have information to share about their interactions with Buck, according to Mendoza. But investigators are trying to schedule additional interviews with people who may have useful information. According to the July 31st coroner's report, Buck's apartment was riddled with drug paraphernalia. Among the items found were 24 syringes containing brown residue, five glass pipes with white residue, and burn marks, a plastic straw with possible white residue, clear plastic bags with white powdery residue, and a clear plastic bag containing a piece of crystal-like substance. 
The report also states coroner's investigators spoke with a woman who said Moore told her someone whose name is redacted tied him up over a year ago and held him against his will at the residence in West Hollywood. Mendoza said, we don't want to move forward with anything else without every single piece of information. He added that investigators have worked with the district attorney's office to give immunity to witnesses for unrelated minor crimes so that they can speak freely. He said, we're just in a holding pattern until we can get those people interviewed. Mendoza said investigators are trying to leave no stone unturned. Buck's attorney, Seymour Amster, (laughs) Seymour Hamster, really his name is Seymour Amster, told Fox News that his client has done nothing wrong. There's nothing there. As we always stated, this was an accidental overdose that Ed Buck had nothing to do with, and it's a tragedy, Amster said in a recent phone interview. The coroner has not changed his opinion from an accidental death, and until that happens, and that's not going to happen, we're done. Once the probe is concluded, investigators will determine whether the findings should be turned over to a district attorney or brought before a grand jury. Mendoza said, I think a detective would probably present it to a DA, but a grand jury is not out of play either. Among the items being investigated is a journal that Moore appears to have kept, which investigators discovered among his belongings. The writings in the journal, which Moore's mother, Latisha Nixon, discussed with Fox News, describes his drug use and interactions with Buck. A December entry reads, I honestly don't know what to do. I've become addicted to drugs and the worst one at that. Ed Buck is the one to thank. He gave me my first injection of crystal meth. It was very painful. But after all the troubles, I became addicted. Moore's final journal entry, dated December 3rd, 2016, reads, If it didn't hurt so bad, I'd kill myself. But I'll let Ed Buck do it for now there's a photograph of his notebook a page from his journal and I'm going to read to you what the page says in his handwriting I pray that I can just get my life together and make sense I help so many people but can't seem to help myself I honestly don't know what to do I've become addicted to drugs and the worst one at that Ed Buck is the one to thank. He gave me my first injection of crystal meth. It was very painful, but after all the troubles, I became addicted to the pain and fetish slash fantasy. But slowly, my brain, and that's where it ends. According to Jasmine Kennick, an advocate for Moore's family, a number of other gay black men have claimed Buck would invite them to his house, then pay them several hundred dollars to take drugs. Moore's family has set up a website where people can come forward with information. Quote, Jamel deserves justice. What's done in the dark always comes to light, Nixon told Fox News. I'm happy Ed Buck got exposed for what he was doing. Amster, the the lawyer, told Fox News that the two men were friends and that Buck was legitimately trying to help Moore. These are merely accusations, he says. This situation has turned into an attack on Mr. Buck's personal life. Okay, now here's the thing. Ed Buck, according to what I've learned, is very close to Adam Schiff. 
Ed Buck has something on Adam Schiff, whether it's donations, whether we don't know what Ed Buck has on Adam Schiff, but whatever it is, Adam Schiff is involved. And this, um, let me see if I can find it. Um, bear with me here. I want to I want to make sure that I've got uh, the right linkage to the story. Uh, let's see. I thought I had brought it up again. You know, when you when you uh, reboot, sometimes you lose some of this stuff. All right, hang on here. Let me see. Let me go to this and see if I can find it here. Uh, yeah, here it is. Okay. This is, um, oh, no, I'm going to read you this one. Um, this is, uh, Jasmine Kanick, um, her website. She wrote this on August 17th, 2017. Um, she, it's actually, it's more than a website. It's really a, a, a news site. She's a social critic and a political commentator, and the headline reads, The Cost of Silence, How a Wealthy L.A. Democratic Donor Muted the Political Party of Allies and Coalition Building. And here she's laid in a photograph of Ed Buck, probably taken the same day that Hillary Clinton was there when she had her photo taken with him, because it looks like the same background, and he's standing there with Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff is in a white shirt, long sleeve, with a tie. It looks like it's a campaign event, okay? So this, uh, this Jasmine Kanick writes, It's been 21 days since 26-year-old Jamel Moore's body was removed from the West Hollywood apartment of 63-year-old prominent Democratic political donor Ed Buck. Moore was homeless and worked as an escort. Because Ed Buck is a white gay man in West Hollywood, the police didn't bother to investigate Moore's death, which was immediately classified as an accidental meth overdose by the Los Angeles County coroner. Shortly after Moore's death, the WeHo Times, and WeHo is is an abbreviation for West Hollywood, W-E-H-O, WeHo. The WeHo Times published a story that quoted Moore's mother, Letitia Nixon, as saying that she didn't believe it was as cut and dry as the coroner's office was making it. She had learned that her son had been doing escort work and that her son's friend was also engaged in similar activity and that they had a client in common. Speaking to WeHo Times, Nixon said, I called one of my son's friends and was like, who the hell is Edward Buck? And my son's friend was like, oh, my God, that's that white guy, that wealthy white politician guy. He was like, oh, my God. When he calmed down, he told me that Ed Buck was one of my son's clients and that Ed Buck was one of his clients as well. Buck would have my son to go out to Santa Monica Boulevard looking for young gay black guys so he could inject them with drugs, see their reaction and how they would react, and then take pictures of them. Moore's own personal journal seemed to corroborate those statements. Among Moore's personal belongings collected by his family from the coroners was a journal in which he documents his feelings about the direction of his life and the role of Ed Buck in it. And then he quotes here about the the same quote that I just uh, read to you, what's in his journal. Um, In the aftermath of the WeHo Times article and the publishing of Moore's journal, more victims of Ed Buck have privately come forward recounting similar stories about a man who has a Tuskegee experiment-like fetish and who likes to shoot drugs into young black men that he picks up off the street 
or via dating hookup websites like Adam for Adam. The drugs are oftentimes injected into the young men without their permission and while they're unconscious after having been given GHB, also known as the date rape drug. Local news showed video surveillance of Moore's body being removed from Buck's house as another young man was just arriving, almost implying that Buck planned to keep on partying even after the death of Moore in his house. Buck has since hired a criminal defense attorney who has been selling the idea that his client and Moore were good friends and that he's a kind-hearted man. Okay, so let me scroll down here. Um, Buck has given hundreds of thousands of dollars of Democrat to uh, Democrat causes and candidates over the years. His Facebook page boasts dozens of photos of him with everyone from presidential candidate Hillary Clinton to Governor Jerry Brown, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, Uh, one look at the list of political contributions from Buck to Democrats, and it's easy to see that while he may have a penchant for young black men, that liking doesn't extend to black politicians, of whom only one handful have received donations. In online ads soliciting young black gay men, Buck has referred to them as being a six-foot nigger. That's in quotes. On his Facebook page, he jokes with friends using the N-word, And this is his Facebook page, Bucked, B-U-C-K-E-D. And this is from a uh, a screenshot from a mobile phone, T-Mobile. Crescent slash sunset, 60-year-old, 6 foot, 175 pound, leather, ethnicity, white, out, smoke, no drink, occasionally, my place. I can float in the stratocumulus and the and the cum is <clears throat> asterisked out because i guess that i don't <laughs> you know how it goes right cum hmm i can float in the stratocumulus clouds for an eternity sometimes launching in a pointed way i've got a huge underwear sports gear mirror uh cock ring bulge vac pumps fetishes nothing blank going on here my butt your butt any butt is unappealing. I love verbal, filthy mouth, visual, lots of mirrors, blacks, plus, plus, plus. You, in caps, you be in love with your cock, cock slanging, and showing off your cock in my jock into masculine, slender, skinny men who realize it's not about an eight-inch cock, it's you as a six-foot blank, 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 which would be the nigger word, Okay. So this is this is this guy is sick, sick, sick. So Jasmine continues to write. Normally in politics, we try to distance ourselves from white people who call black people niggers or use the word nigger, not protect them with our silence. With the exception of a very tailored and politically correct statement made by the local chapter of the Stonewall Democratic Club, most of Los Angeles. Los Angeles's Democratic and LGBT community, which are often one in the same, has had nothing to say publicly about Moore's death. Politicians who have received thousands of dollars from Buck over the years, and even this year for their re-election campaigns, have been curiously silent. Some of the things, let's see, um, let's see, um, depending on what homicide investigators conclude, Moore's life might have been lost due to a form of murder or manslaughter, not drug addiction. 
Uh, Eric Bauman, chair of the Los Angeles County Democratic Party and California Democratic Party, was reported to have been sobbing after being accused of, quote, engaging in inappropriate behavior with 14 and 16-year-old boys. Bauman said in an email, I'm a pretty tough guy, and I can take the attacks, lies, distortions, and mud that has been slung at me pretty well. But to accuse me of child abuse, especially of this nature, is beyond the pale and 100% unacceptable. Well, perhaps that's why Bauman, who's gay himself, hasn't said one word publicly about one of his party's top donors taking advantage of vulnerable black gay men. And it goes on from there. So tying this back now to the Standard Hotel and the helicopter plane crash, et cetera, et cetera, what the the researchers have deduced is that this Ed Buck is a freakazoid, and he used to use the hotel, and the hotel itself is a is a a place for freaky rendezvous. We're talking every every fetish you can imagine. And it is also suspected that this hotel is a place for where human trafficking takes place. And or the um dissolution of humans if something goes awry during their sexual escapades, their sexual fetish ex- ex- escapades, there have been found 55-gallon drums of an acid, muriatic acid, that dissolves flesh. The only thing that's left is teeth and bones. And that, that, that has been found on hotel property. Now, there's going to be more coming out about this, and Adam Schiff is connected to this. Whether he uses the hotel, whether he's been to the hotel, and they've got pictures of him, whatever his connection is, it's unsavory. And he has to be literally shifting his pants to see this headline on Fox News, because up until now, this has just been a California story, and they've managed to keep, keep a lid on it, so to speak. But not anymore. Not anymore. WeHoville has pictures, and I'm I'm going to put the um, uh, I'm going to put the link in the chat room for you, so you can go look. Um, picture of this Jamel Moore and Ed Buck, and pictures of um, the Adam for Adam uh, website with a picture of a man in underwear and bulging underwear, okay? Um, Brian, okay, this is, this, is, this is another guy now who is testifying, who is talking about this. Buck, a well-known WeHo political activist and donor, is at the center of investigation into the death on July 27 in Buck's Laurel Avenue apartment of Jamel Moore, a young black sex worker. The death of Moore was caused by methamphetamines, an illegal drug, according to the L.A. County uh, Coroner's Office. Today, Jasmine Kennick, a communications and public affairs strategist who is helping Moore's family, published and shared with WeHoville the story of another young black man who said that on September 11th, Buck contacted him on Adam for Adam, the gay sex hookup site. The man, for whom Kennick used the pseudonym Brian, said Buck sent an Uber driver to pick him up in South L.A. and deliver him to Buck's West Hollywood apartment. Brian told Canick that Buck used the Adam for Adam profile Dunome, and that's spelled D-O-U-N-O-M-E, Dunome. Uh, 
Other young men who had had contact with Buck revealed that his previous Adam for Adam profile was labeled Bucked. Brian said he arrived at Buck's apartment around 12.30 a.m. and smoked crystal meth with Buck, tried on tights and joggers with him. Previous photos taken in Buck's apartment show young black men trying on various types of tight white underwear, which some have said is a fetish of Buck's. Brian told Canick that Buck, quote, kept asking if it was okay to call me that, referring to the N-word. He also said that he resisted pressure from Buck to use drugs that Buck owned. Brian said he left and was paid $60 by Buck. Canick has verified Brian's contact with Buck with screenshots from Brian's phone and texts from Brian's phone to Brian's girlfriend. Those screenshots include Buck's mobile phone number, the last four digits of which Canick has redacted, Buck's Laurel Avenue uh, address, and the security code to enter his apartment building. She provided those images to WeHoville, several of which are published with this article. WeHoville also attempted to contact Buck through the Dunome Adam for Adam account. Canick earlier published pages from Moore's journal in which he described his relationship with Buck and several photos, one of which shows Buck laying on the floor next to a young black man. A screenshot of Dunome account through which what Brian alleges he was contacted by Buck describes a 63-year-old white man with gray hair. Quote, let me take you home to a place you've never been before, it reads. Quote, I want to show you a facet of yourself that you could not see before. Debauchery. Close quote. The profile says he uses drugs socially. Um, let's see here. Buck has disappeared from public view since Moore's death became quest from Weehoville and on from there. So anyway, um, this is, this is the underbelly, the Los Angeles underbelly. And it is suspected the names have been thrown out that the, in the first story that I read to you, that there was a a Hollywood actor that was a frequent um, guest at the uh, standard hotel that that Hollywood actor slash director who lives out, out of the country most of the year, um, there's speculation that it could be George Clooney. Mm. And the female who stayed at the standard kind of hiding away for about a week, it is suspected, although not conclusively proven, that that is Angeline Jolie. You remember Angeline Jolie when she was uh, married to, I've forgotten his name now, the actor, and she wore a vial of his blood around her neck on a chain. And somebody was talking about, I was listening to um, the the YouTube channel where the researchers are gathering together and drive me crazy because they talk about stupid inane stuff. Um, but when they do talk about interesting stuff, it's like, okay, all right. I've, so I've listened to your bullshit for 15 minutes. Now I'm going to listen, finally hear you say something of, of worth. But anyway, they were talking about how um, evidently Angeline Jolie did an interview some time ago where she talked about how, yes, Billy Bob Thornton, thank you, bringing it. Thank you, Billy Bob Thornton, Exactly. She talks about how she was initiated into this group. And one of the things that you had to do was allow yourself to be beaten. And so she said that when she, when, when she did it, 
She said, I just put my mind in a different place while I was being beaten. Um, she also, they were also talking about how this particular club, if you will, um, you have to, if, and I'm not sure if, they, if and they, they weren't sure either. If it's, if you do something wrong, you're punished. And how you're punished is you're given a black eye, you're punched in the eye. And there have been so many people, I've seen pictures of so many members of Congress who've walked around with black eyes, including the Pope. The Pope had a black eye. They said he fell. But it's really weird because they're all on the left eye. And the left eye, according to what one, one person was saying, the, the right is dexter, dexterous, right-handed, dexterous. The left is sinister. In Latin, that and I'm, I never knew that. We you know when we say something is sinister, it's on the left. It's left-handed. It's it's not good. It's not right. It's left. Oh, excuse me. Well, according to what they were saying, that the, it was always on the sinister side, the left eye. Well, it just could be old wives' tales. I don't know. I have no way of knowing. But I'm telling you, this stuff is like. I mean, this is like watching a horror movie, watching it unfold. And, and you know, there are people out there who are going, I, you know, how come we're not getting any, you know, how, we're not, you know, how come nobody's being arrested and how come blah, 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 blah. And it's like, wait a minute, people are being arrested. This is happening. They're, as Q put it, they've got to clean, they've got to first of all make sure that the American people are safe. There is so much to this. It is so deep, dark, and ugly, and extensive that cleaning it out is going to take years. Initially, it's going to go fast. Of course, that depends on what your definition of fast is. But for those of us who are watching this and seeing what Q is posting every day, it's like, yeah, this is happening. This is definitely happening. I mean, they're going after Big Pharma. Now they found uh, a, a white powder. Now um, Donald Trump Jr.'s wife's mother, his mother-in-law. Got, I mean, <laughs> these people aren't fooling around. They're sending messages. You want to screw with us? We're going to screw with you. And maybe next time it won't be white powder. I mean, you know, when Trump said, I take these slings and arrows for you, I had a beautiful life. I didn't need to do this. He's not kidding. He knew what he was getting into. He understood what was at stake. Don't you think that once he was uh, elected president and he was the, um, the president-elect before he got into the White House and he was privy to all the top secret stuff, that he didn't see all that? He doesn't know all that? Of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> It's why he, you don't often see him smile. You don't often see um, Melania smile either. And I've often thought to myself, oh, she just smiles some more. You know, smile more often. She's so pretty when she's smiling. And she always looks so dead up serious. Well, you know, he knows about Big Pharma. I mean, his own son, as he said when he was on the campaign, trail, you take a beautiful baby and you, and you vaccinate that baby. And and then that baby, you know, there's something wrong. He knows his, I believe his son, Baron, suffers autism from a vaccination. And I think Trump has got, he's got a hair across his ass 
for, for pharmaceutical companies because he understands how dangerous they are and how, how de- deceitful they are. Deceitful. Anyway, last night, um, I think it was after we hung up, was it? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Anyway, he posted um, a, a few more um, yesterday. And what he posted was this, Operation Merlin, parentheses, tech. Well, Operation Merlin is, um, it was a, a project to um, destroy uh, computer systems, and I don't exactly remember which, what they were. I'm still researching. I'm still reading about that. Well, hang on here. Let me tell you. Oh, and the, oh, and then the other thing. What time is it? Okay, I've got time to tell you. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Remember uh, yesterday, I think it was, or maybe it was, yeah, I think it was yesterday, where I told you that um, he had posted very simply Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, and we were like, what the hell? What's he saying? What's this about? What's this about? Right? Well, watch for something to happen about her. Okay? She was first mentioned by Q uh, on February 11th, two days ago, right? Simply said, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So Q was focusing attention on her. Then a day later, um, an anonymous posted this on on the board. The fact Q brought up Ginsburg and then she landed on CNN the same day, front page, speaks volumes. We are missing something. And Q writes back, here, quote, here to stay. He's quoting Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who said, oh, no, I'm, I'm not leaving the, the, the Supreme Court bench. I'm here to stay. So he takes her quote, here to stay, and then he writes underneath it, no, you're not. Then an overnight post from Q focuses on uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg again. And this one, she's sitting in a chair, with, and she's, she's having a conversation with somebody, and Q writes, I hear Hanoi is educational. Q. Well, started searching that out. Matched up the picture with the caption, and the caption is from VTV.VN, Vietnam, and here's what caption reads. The Vietnam Supreme People's Court and the U.S. Supreme Court are hoped to further cooperation, especially in judicial experience sharing and court personnel training. Prime Minister Nguyen Van uh, Tan Dung told U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The government leader said Vietnam has been accelerating judicial reform as well as successfully building a rule of law state and protecting justice and human rights. The country is also improving the judicial system in line with the Constitution, he added. So then um, an anonymous posted another picture of her taken at that same time and in that picture she's shaking the hand of i think it's the same guy the prime minister okay and and quote to discuss the rule of law close quote yeah right so bader ginsburg i think from what q is saying is she's going to be given a choice that she can't refuse either resign or be impeached they already knew what they stood for when she was elected, when she was not elected, when she was confirmed to the Supreme Court bench. This is a woman who, if you read her remarks in the nomination hearing, some of, some of the folks on that um, um, YouTube, this morning, they read it out loud. 
This is a woman, I don't know how much you know about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I didn't really know that much other than that she's a feminist. She's not only a feminist, she hates our Constitution, and she thinks that it's old and antiquated, and it's time for a change. And the changes that she spells out are just unbelievable, unbelievable. She is, she is so far to the left, it's a wonder she hasn't fallen, fallen off the earth, really. But anyway... She was confirmed by the 103rd Congress, okay? And this was July. They held the hearings on July 20th, 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of 1993, okay? Here's who was on the committee on the judiciary who voted her out of committee to, be, to, the, to the full body to be um, voted on. Joseph Biden was the chairman. On the Democrat side, of course, it was, it was Democrat majority. He was the chairman, right? On the Democrat side, on the committee, Edward M. Kennedy, Howard Metzenbaum of Ohio, Dennis DeConcini of Arizona, Patrick Leahy, Leaky Leahy of Vermont, Howell Heflin of Alabama, Paul Simon of Illinois, Herbert Cole of Wisconsin, Diane Feinstein of California, and Carol Mosley Brown, Braun Brown of Illinois. On the Republican side, Orrin Hatch, Strom Thurmond, Alan Simpson, Charles Grassley, Arlen Specter, Hank Brown, Colorado, William Cohen of Maine, and Larry Pressler of South Dakota. William Cohen went on to become Secretary of Defense, if you recall. Quoting her from an article in Foreign Policy, she said, I would not look to the U.S. Constitution if I were drafting a constitution in the year 2012. I might look at the Constitution of South Africa, says Ginsburg, whom President Clinton nominated to the court in 1993. Quote, that was a deliberate attempt to have a fundamental instrument of government that embraced basic human rights, had an independent judiciary. It really is, I think, a great piece of work that was done, much more recent than the U.S. Constitution. She also presided... Um, officiating the ceremony during which gay, a gay U.S. ambassador to Vietnam, his name was Ted Osias, renewed his vows. This is a woman who never should have been um, uh, sent to the bench, ever, ever. And there are rumors that she is involved with two other Supreme Court justices, to date unnamed, that were involved in the death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. I'm not saying it's, it's alleged, okay? I don't know that for a fact. But the fact that Q is calling attention to her, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, here to stay? No, you're not. I hear Hanoi is educational. What she did in Hanoi evidently should have recused her from being on the Supreme Court. I'm, that's what I'm putting together here. I don't know for sure, but that's what I'm putting together. We're going to have to wait and see, all right? We're going to have to see what, see what else Q comes out with. But I'll tell you, she thinks she's staying. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, listen, if they can make headline news at Fox News this morning, first thing about Ed Buck and the freakazoids in Adam Schiff's district and you know Adam Schiff is connected they can do anything and don't let anybody else tell you otherwise I think the good guys 
have the control. They're at, they're at the console, and they are controlling it all. I, who was it that was saying today? I don't think, the, oh, it was uh, George Webb. George Webb was talking uh, uh, in one of his um, reports today. He spent the day on Capitol Hill. He sat in on the hearing that they had uh, with um, the Intelligence uh, Committee, I think it was, um, on cybersecurity risk. He came out of that, and he gave a kind of a rundown of, of who said what and, and all of that. And then he also said that, um, you know, he said there are people out there who are saying that, uh, you know, we're, you know, Washington is in a state of panic. He said, I don't see it. I don't see, I don't see panic. I see brotherhood. He said, I, the way it was handled today in that hearing, he kind of shook his head like disgusting. They're all all in it together. He's not seeing the panic that Q is kind of intimating is out there, that they're panicking. I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. So anyway, that's what I've got for you tonight. And um, I'm glad that I plugged in my phone and charged it. (laughs) I don't know what happened to the connection. You know, I mean, be prepared for anything on Blog Talk Radio anymore. I swear, and and maybe sometimes it's not BTR. Maybe it's just maybe it's my wireless connection. Who knows? You know, my Wi-Fi connection. Who knows? But anyway, I'm glad you stuck with me and uh, appreciate it. There's quite a few of them in there. Let me let me uh, say hi to the folks who are in the chat room. We've got a ton of guests in there, so let me say welcome. Thanks for coming by. I really appreciate it. Bringing it, Boye and Flycatcher in the chat room, along with Heatsinker and Lugnut. I love these names. Mdel747. Um, MSCATS and OBSSU all in the chat room. And oh, and the Alaskan, there he is. We're missing Bob. We're missing Robert. I feel bad that he's um, decided to dump out, but uh, I can't blame him. I really can't blame him. And also, I want to say hi to the folks who are listening in on the telephone line. We've got area code 401 828 937 518 310 and 864. For welcome everybody. Thanks for thanks for being with me. All right. So tomorrow night, Elizabeth Letch. Um, I'm so used to calling her Letchworth. She hasn't been Letchworth now for two years. Elizabeth Christ will be joining us uh, to talk about what's happening in Washington with the hearings, the Senate, et cetera, et cetera. And as you know, when Elizabeth joins us, it's always lively. <laughs> So anyway, uh, with that, I will leave you. And uh, let's see, what, what are we going to play tonight? To I don't know. Um, maybe we should play, uh, let's see, how about a little Lloyd Marcus? We haven't heard from Lloyd in a while. And he does a beautiful rendition of God Bless America. So let's play it for him for, in honor of, of Lloyd and uh, in honor of our country. Okay? All right. I'm going to leave you with that, and we'll see you again tomorrow night, everybody. Thank you so much. God bless you all. America, the night with the light from above.